from the heart of Dubai, where tomorrow is being built today to the world. Welcome to the CTO Show with Mehmet. Here, we redefine technology and reimagine possibilities. With Mehmet, delve into the riveting realms of AI, cybersecurity, and digital technology. Experience the thrilling highs and lows of startups. Immerse yourself in the spirit of entrepreneurship and witness the future of business innovation being written in real time. Now, without further ado, let's tune in and explore the future. Hello and welcome back to a new episode of the CTO Show with Mehmet. Today, I'm very pleased to have with me Zach joining me from San Diego. Zach, I like to leave it to the guests to introduce themselves. So all the floor is yours to tell us about yourself and what you do. Sure. Thank you for having me, Mimit. My name is Zach Ratner, and I am the chief technology officer and co-founder at an AI company called Yembo. I'm an engineer by training, um, and I work on leading the engineering team now. So what we do at Yembo is we build computer vision algorithms to identify items inside a person's home. And we provide services to companies that provide home service jobs. So primarily property insurance companies, moving companies. In all these home service spaces, it's very difficult to provide an accurate estimate because it takes trained expertise to do it. And we provide computer vision-based tools to allow these companies to do things in a more reliable, scalable, fast way. That's cool. Thank you again for being on the show today. So... Um, Zach, I like to a little bit prepare before the, the episode and, you know, I was going through your experience with scaling, um, you know, like flashcard studying tool to over 3 million users to shape, you know, product development and Yambo. So can you like tell us a little bit about this experience and, you know, what actually brought you in this space in the first place? Sure. Yeah, you did your homework. I guess I would say I've always been a bit of a nerd. Um, I um, the one thing I always asked for as a kid for my birthday was um, we had a shared family computer, so I had to share time with my parents and my siblings. I'd always ask for more time, and if I didn't have the ability to um, make games and these kinds of things as a twelve-year-old, I um, I ended up buying a legal pad uh, paper at the local dollar store. And I would write my code on the on the paper, waiting for uh, my sister to get off the computer. And then, as soon as I got in, I'd type everything in and see if my see if my code worked. Um, so it sort of felt like a um, like a blessing when I realized later in high school, when I was looking at colleges, that this is actually like a profession. It's not just like a, a hobby. And I feel like that that uh, arc has been consistent throughout um, my career personally. Where this flashcard tool, I I made something for myself. Um, it was kind of difficult to organize all your different courses and build a schedule. Um, at Virginia Tech, they would have these huge entry-level like chemistry 101 kind of courses and very competitive to get in the 10 a.m. class. No one really wanted to get in the 8 a.m. class. And um, so I built this tool for just mostly for myself to help. Um, I'm a morning person. I want to pack my schedule in the morning and then be done with classes by like 11 or so. And um, when I built it, I realized that there was this local startup that was building academic services for college students. And um, I just, I wasn't like trying to sell it to them. I just said, hey, I know you're in this space. I did this. It helped me. I don't really know what to do next. Like, should we talk? 
and then an internship came out of it. And then um, that's when I was able to build that flashcard tool and then um, had an opportunity to join a large telecom company named Qualcomm right out of college. And um, that was great. Kind of got to, I felt like I grew up super fast there because what I used to do at a smaller startup, like an intern can just push code on production. There's, um, you move really fast, but at the expense of maybe some oversight. And mm -hmm. when you go to the larger company, it's like um, so many, um, so much scale that uh, like literally billions of handsets using your code. So if there's a bug, somebody's going to find it. And that was a um, great learning experience. Great time was right when 4G was coming out. Um, and then uh, after a few years of doing that, uh, kind of left, started doing some consulting work. Um, and then the idea for Yembo came. And Yembo started as an expensive hobby again. It was like uh, we had the idea. We started working on it. I wasn't really sure like uh, if, if it was going to. Um, we had some things that we needed to prove around the technology. And we didn't know if it was going to be viable for the current state of the art at the time. And mm -hmm. um, kind of one thing led to another. We had smaller successes that kind of snowballed into larger ones. And at some point, my wife told me, like, I don't think this Yimbo thing is like a, a hobby anymore. Kind of just looks like work. Like it takes your day from nine to five and uh, you talk about it at the dinner table and it's uh, it kind of like grew up on its own. Yeah, that's nice. And I think because when you become passionate about an idea, it goes out from from a hobby, I believe. Like it, it becomes like filling your whole, uh, I mean, life. Now, one thing you know, and this is what's interesting for me. Uh, so, you have eighteen granted U.S. patents. So, mm -hmm. what inspires your innovative thinking? And I'm asking you this question because sometimes I hear from people, you know, we run out of ideas. Um, you know, we don't know how to innovate and, mm -hmm. you know, some people out of, I would say maybe I don't want to call it laziness, but you know, we are all lazy mm -hmm. by nature as humans. So we try to copy something instead of, you know, trying to get something out you know, from, from nowhere to, to something that might become, you know, a viable product or so. So what inspires you, Zach, to, to really uh, get these ideas and try to, to test them and build them? I would say having diverse experiences that are not directly related to the area you're working in is usually where that creative spark comes from for me. So the interesting part, if you if you zoom into those 18 patents, they're all over the place. There's a few wireless cellular ones from my time at Qualcomm. There's a few beauty supply ones, um, which uh, I had an opportunity to work with a beauty supply company. So I'm actually, even though my hair has looked like this since I was like a teenager, um, I'm actually named an hair dryer <laughs> patent. And, uh, and then more recently, some in computer vision. But I feel like the, the most interesting pieces are um, looking at how other areas have solved problems and use this concept called first principles to kind of just figure out for yourself if something's going to work or not. And I think the best example of this is um, the underlying technology that powers the, um, the nacho heating elements, like the, the melted cheese. Um, if you study that, I had a good reason to study that at a point in my career. Um, and that ended up serving as the innovative spark that kind of made a battery powered hairdryer possible. Um, but we were looking at how everyone else was heating hairdryers um, at the time. And everyone's kind of doing the same thing. And if you wanted to build something based on battery, you really need to innovate around power. Mm -hmm. And um, the, this is one of the, the projects kind of in my 
in my days before Yembo really took off. And um, it was just interesting that like uh, I started studying and started doing this first principles thing and then ended up literally talking to a nacho cart vendor around uh, power requirements. And that was like the, the spark that made it all work. So am I an expert in hair dryers? Not really. Am I an expert in nachos? I mean, I eat them, but that's about it. But like finding the intersection of these different areas always um, seems to open up kind of innovative solutions that people haven't thought of before. But if you try so, to do exactly where everyone else has been doing, it's not going to end up being super innovative. Yeah. So I believe this is, you know, part of um, many people like yourself, Zach, who are always on the hunt of solving problems, whatever it is. And you try to see if you can apply your knowledge to solve this and, you know, innovate around. So, um, which is, which is a great way because, you know, we repeated on the show multiple times, like the best way to come up with a good idea is to go find problems actually. Like, exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, and it looks like you did it fantastically well. Now, um, you mentioned something, uh, when you were talking about your, your current startup and, um, you said like you were trying to, to, to build and then you get some, some, you know, use cases, which were, which were like, yeah, that it seems something that is needed outside there. Oh, what methods, you know, do you employ to validate a product quickly while minimizing both financial and time risks? So I think I've done this the right way and the wrong way before. Um, so if I can be of any help, I may be sharing some some ideas of what to avoid and what to do. That'd be great. Mm -hmm. The key that I found is you mentioned this before you hit the nail on the head is you mentioned you're solving a problem. So there's usually, I would say, always oh, should be an idea in your mind of what is that problem you're trying to solve? Because we don't want to just talk about like cool things. Um, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? Could we do that? Cause then, be, then you don't know if it's actually going to be practical or not. So the framework I like to do is start with a hypothesis. And if you remember back to like middle school science, you have um, a an explanation of how you think things are going to work that you're looking to test. So when we were starting Yembo, the actual first hypothesis had nothing to do with AI. We weren't sure would people be willing to click a link and record videos, because if you aren't willing to do that, then it doesn't really matter how cool the AI is. You didn't get to that point. So that was like hypothesis number one. And what that led us to do was it led us to test it without even building any AI. So we just started and said, um, found a moving company and said, look, I can save you the drive time. Um, the product wasn't super valuable there because it was like something I had hacked together in a couple of days. But we were not looking to test the AI yet. We were looking to test, will somebody be willing to go through this process? And is it compelling or is it like tedious and you can kind of convince them under the right conditions? Then then what we found, we were saving the drive time where you don't have to do an on-site visit. We were saving um, convenience if you can record at your own time you don't have to schedule a call and we found like people overwhelmingly not just were willing to do it but preferred it to the previous like, version of setting things up in your home and um if we had just been like hey we want to start an ai company let's go build ai it would have cost millions of dollars more we probably would have run out of money and wouldn't have even validated if this was like a a market worth doing so i would say always have that hypothesis and um don't take your ideas personally um, you're inviting criticism at that point in time. I was looking for a reason for it to fail because I wanted to be convinced that this was something that was worth spending the next, I guess I'm seven years into this now. So I didn't want to lightly go and make this decision to spend a bunch of effort on building something. So we put down like, what are all these things that would have been fatal if they don't work? 
and we just tested mm -hmm. them up front in in very low stakes environments um and then you kind of know you're working on the right things then because now you you've understood that you've kind of de-risked the the most important parts i think um you know also you nailed it zach about the hypothesis you know like uh, you it's assumption like you you don't uh, know if you don't actually go and test it out you will not know what the result is and i'm repeating this a couple of times on the show now and because you know I, I work with a lot of, of startup founders some of them they have ideas some of them they are still you know in the ideation phase and i always tell them guys okay uh, why you are trying to find a problem for <laughs> the solution you have you should do it the other way around right. <laughs> um because otherwise you know like as you said like your ego, accepted or not, like would say, no, 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 this is a good idea. I'm going to do it this way. I'm putting AI in this so it will be more fancy. And uh, you know what? Like it doesn't have to become always, uh, uh, you know, fancy thing to become successful, which is 100%. Now, in a startup environment like Yimbo, um, what specific skills? Because, you know, like you, you are the CTO, but what other specific skills do you believe are essential for collaboration and how do you foster that with with the, with the team i think the most important part about having good collaboration on your team is great communication skills like i can be the most brilliant engineer in the world but if i can't clearly communicate my uh, thinking and my thought process to other people then it's not going to work that well so we hire in our interview process we we screen for communication um, we generally have the candidate present something small, um, something that they're familiar with. Um, we're not quizzing them at that point on like the specific details. We're we're just trying to get a sense of their collaboration skills and their communication skills, um, because I think the best AI products are also humanities products. Like these are tools that are used by somebody. And if you look at our team structure, we don't just have a bunch of software engineers. I joke that um, if we wanted to go into like uh, an easy part of software development, we picked the absolute wrong industry because to do well at Yumbo, you need to have cutting edge AI. You need to make it accessible to an audience that hasn't um, historically used it before. So you need good um, user interface design and user studies and user flows you need to be um, like factoring all these different kinds of things in. And then because it's a web product, uh, thanks to these tech giants like uh, Google and Facebook and Netflix, people expect it to always work and never go down. So you need really good software engineer infrastructure. Um, any one of those things you take out, it just doesn't work. So we look for people with diverse backgrounds. Um, we have um, lots of people have who have transitioned into software engineering. So they had some amount of some career beforehand that they can fall back to, which I found is really interesting when you're debating like, um, what default should be, what the user interface should be like, is we don't just have like a bunch of computer science graduates um, who have the same amount of work experience and all that kind of stuff coming in. And I think the next part is hard to kind of engineer. It just kind of happens if you build your team right, is you need this concept of psychological safety where you don't feel like attacked if you suggest something that gets told no. Because when you're mm -hmm. brainstorming, right, you want a lot of ideas, you want to consider a lot of options. I say a lot of things that get uh, rejected, um, but you want to push those boundaries. You want to consider more extreme versions of the things you end up building because that's how you kind of find that sweet spot in the middle, right? So I found that um, being able to 
have a lot of different ideas with people with very different backgrounds from yourselves, have the safety to be able to critique each other's ideas and not have that get misinterpreted. Like you can critique my idea without telling me that I'm uh, failing in some way. And then having um, everybody convinced, then when it comes time to actually implement, like everybody knows that there's not like a, a big um, unforeseen thing that we like had in the back of our minds, but didn't speak up. Like people are more committed when they're doing it. So like there's a lot of um, a lot of debates in the early days when we're starting something. And I think that's I think that's healthy. If you have like one person who has all the ideas and everyone else is just kind of like sitting tight. I think that's not really what's going on. I think that's um, it means people are probably not willing to speak up. I think it's unlikely that people are just nobody has any thoughts. So um, it looks a little bit messy if you're an outsider and you walk in and see what's going on, because it's like, why are these people debating so much? But I think you have to because um, we're we're building things that are at very big scale and people are going to be using it in a lot of different environments, a lot of different situations. So you need to think about all these different considerations when you're starting out. Yeah, perfect. Um, I think, you know, this is also, we see it uh, in, in large, I mean, once they were startups actually, and I think they kept this. So, you know, keep it open for ideas. Uh, company like large companies, they can afford even trying to build, you know, these ideas and they might fail. This is what, you know, Google, they did it, Amazon, they did it, you know, and, and they keep it in this culture of, okay, there's no right or wrong until, you know, we, we try actually to achieve it, to see, is it like something logical? Is it something that really can do a, an impact on the company or impact on our customers, you know, like, so, so yeah, like, and I, I love, you know, this kind of cultures, but the question here uh, for you is like, like talking about culture now yourself you are a cto and you know how do you think with you know it's it's critical to keep the culture and how can you actually keep it while growing the team because we know when the team grows uh it becomes like a little bit you know you have like now managers and maybe you have to delegate to other team members so how do you keep this balance i would say between keeping the culture and delegation and keeping also what we were just discussing i mean you know, everyone can share their uh, opinions without being free, you know, afraid of, of being hammered, as you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think things will change. I mean, a company of 30 people can't operate like a company of five. But to your point, as in leadership, you need to be responsible for the culture. And it's something that you have to work on just like anything else. You don't uh, maybe in the early days, you kind of get it for free because the company is so small. And uh, everyone is just kind of on the same page. So I don't know if I really buy that, but if you were to make that argument, I'd give it to you. But certainly when you when you have more people than you can talk to in a day at the company, it's something that you need to work on. And there are a few things that we've done to try to um, make it work out faster. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it comes down to the people, right? Like uh, you can't change somebody's personality when they join. So it more comes down to finding the right kind of person which means articulating what that right kind of person is and maybe having one of those debates we were talking about with your team, because that also changes. I found in the early days, you want like a pioneer, an innovator who's okay to maybe not have a ton of infrastructure, not to have a ton of guidance and uh, maybe a hacker type in the engineering world. But then as a tool grows, people start relying on it. You need more stability, you need more reliability. Like that personality of the kind of people that you need will, will change. And I think that's healthy and that's okay. But I feel like the key is um, getting to that psychological safety where the team feels safe and able to collaborate as quickly as you can. 
So we have a general guideline for all managers on our team where we say when you hire somebody, try to have their first win within 30 days. So for an engineer, that can be code in production so they can actually see the results of I came in, I did X, and now like customer Y can do something new they couldn't do before. For um, someone on the design team, we aim to have their their like workflow accepted into the accepted into our we use Figma. Um, but the idea is like nobody really likes to be the new person, right? To have to be like um, least less experienced than everybody else. And when you join, you kind of have to be the new person. So what we do is we kind of go out of our way to minimize the time you're in that spot. Because what we realized is we spend all this time and energy recruiting the right kind of people. So there's some really awesome people who join. And then when they join, you don't want to like waste their talent by having them sit around and like uh, read a bunch of onboard documentation for 90 days and then like not really have contributed anything. That's on you as the employer, not the employee, if you're not giving them Mm -hmm. like a clear path to um, kind of establishing their credibility with the team. And we found this works pretty well is what happens is 30 days isn't a lot of time. So if you're a manager tasked with this, what are you going to do? You need to find a project that is uniquely tied into that person's skill sets because you don't have time to train for anything. But normally you've hired somebody because they have that skill set. So what you're doing is you're forcing thinking through how can I most effectively plug this person into the existing company and then have it have a result. And then people on the team can see oh, this person's an expert. They just did this. They just did that. Like that's, they've got some win under their belt. And we found that that makes the next project that you do just go that much easier because now the person is a known quantity. They've, they've contributed something. People know that that area that wouldn't have gotten done otherwise if they hadn't been there. So again, you can't, you can't, um, change people's personalities, nor should I, nor should you try, but I think you can go out of your way to make an environment where they'll be able to become productive as quickly as you can. That's great. Great, Zach. Now let's talk a little bit about, you know, Yambo, right? And let's talk about technology a little bit. Sure. Um, now the issue nowadays that when we mentioned the old AI, you guessed what people think, <laughs> <laughs> right? So they think chat GPT, but I think there's a lot of as like actually it existed, but now because all people, you know, they shifted their focus on large language models, you know, and everyone started to talk about this, but let us remind, you know, folks out there, even technical folks, by the way, not only like normal people, mm-hmm. um, like what first tell me, you know, what kind of AI you are using, like on a high level, of course. Right. And then, you know, where do you see, you know, like this can be applied in maybe some other uh, areas that, you know, like no one is talking about maybe now. Yeah, for sure. I feel like when I started Yembo, when you said AI, everyone thought about Terminator and now everyone thinks about ChatGPT. I don't know. Maybe that's a step in the right direction. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think uh, the at a super high level, um, Yembo is more focused on perception tasks than generative tasks. So things like ChatGPT or Stable Diffusion, where you enter in a prompt and you get something back, where the AI is creating something, that um, I mean, it's a powerful use case with a lot of a lot of applications. But in our uh, industry specifically, where we want to reliably detect what's here, um, it's a it's not super valuable in its current form right now. So we focus more on things like uh, object detection and tracking and 
localization, being able to identify if you were to scan a video of this room, like how many boxes would I need to pack the books there? That's a question mm -hmm. that like some people spend 10 minutes on over the phone. If you're a, if you're a move estimator and I'm, and I'm moving and you can't see, cause we're just talking on the phone and you're asking yeah. like, well, how many shelves are there? Okay. How long is a shelf? So those are the kinds of things that we focus on at Yembo and we, um, we achieve it using more detection tasks than generative tasks. Now there's a lot of interesting things going out there. I think things like, um, a lot of use cases around, um, like getting ideas for marketing copy or customer support, uh, tools. So, I mean, it's always like fun to experiment and play with these things, but my view with them is as long as, um, as long as the AI makes mistakes, then we'll still need to have people involved to, uh, to, to do these kinds of things. Because the thing to remember about all of these algorithms is I would say they're biologically inspired, but they're not biology. So the way they work is like roughly mimicking what a neuron and brains do and things like that, but they are not human brains. So I had a friend send me, I forget the name of the tool she used, but she used one of those AI image generators and sent me a, uh, a picture of herself and said, Hey, can you update your contact photo in your, in, in your phone of this? And I did it. And then she texted me the next day and I was like, I'm sorry, I can't, I have to, I have to change it back. You have three front teeth and that's all I'm looking at. I can't see anything else. <laughs> it's like the AI, it doesn't, it doesn't inherently know like a person would. So it makes mistakes that a person wouldn't because it's not really reasoning. It doesn't have intuition. It's just modeling based off of what it's seen before. And, um, that, it's not really like a bug you can fix that easily. I think that's kind of a fundamental property of the way that these models work. And that makes it applicable in a lot of spaces, but also makes it not so applicable in, in others. So I feel like people's imaginations run wild. They try to do things with it and then they have um, some mismatched expectations sometimes in this generative AI space. But uh, I think overall, it works great as a tool to, um, in use cases where you can afford to make some mistakes. Like if I'm having, um, if I'm having a block and I want to say, Hey, let's get 10 logo ideas. And like, it's okay to just be like rough sketches. I think that kind of stuff. Sure. If you're like a designer and you're, you want to get over the creative hump, then that, that makes total sense. But to just like, um, I just tried, I was curious. I wanted to force myself to like, imagine I can't talk to a designer and I want to just draw, I think it was some simple icon I was trying. And after like 45 minutes of trying to draw like a little icon of the front of a house, I just gave up. I was trying um, all these different prompts just to, to see like um, if this is debuggable. And I think what I've concluded is the state of the art right now and the space is changing really quickly. So maybe the state of the art now is out of date by the time this podcast airs. But for the state of where things stand right now, um, it's great for these tasks where you're earlier on in the process. If you want 10 ideas for blog headline, sure. But if you want to say like, write me a really engaging blog copy paste, I don't, I'm not sure we'll ever get there. Yeah. Um, for me, like I would say it helps me in automation, you know, for example, um, if I, if I, if I'm doing something manually that I can, I, I know that I'm a fee can do it. So mm -hmm. I can give it to AI because I know it's going to give me the same thing that I say, for example, um, just to give you an example, the other day I was preparing kind of a spreadsheet and I know that exactly the format that I want, but I don't want to copy paste, you know, the field and so on. So I just, right. I said, okay, I need this and I need you to every time rename it in a certain way. So basically it's like kind of programming, but on a high level. So I, I think 
And, you know, the other day also we discussed, like, chat GPT is like, you know, think about it, like, people who doesn't know how to, to code, for example, maybe it's like, same as the, there's assembler and compiler and, you know, all these. So now you right. have, you have chat GPT, which is like a, a layer between human and, and the machine, you know, so it can turn things. So I, 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 I'm using it this way. And I'm, although like I'm a technical guy, of course, but I mean, it, it helps me in automating few things. Text generation, I agree with you. You need, you need to correct a lot of mistakes sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it hallucinates sometimes. Uh, uh, art perspective, I cannot judge, but I, I, I think I would agree with you because, you know, I was seeing, you know, even one of the pretty much guys who, who you know, generated a lot of money actually out of it because he was using one of the uh, engines and he was, you know, sharing how he was trying to fix the hands. Because mm -hmm. sometimes you you see like six fingers instead of right. five. Yeah, so hundred percent. But what you know, coming back to to what you do, like uh, at Yambo, um, so can we say? And this is also because I'm curious about the tech. Because you you gave me a use case, for example, someone want to help you, you know, in moving house, and then you start to take maybe pictures of your rooms and you know your living room, your bedroom, you know, and all this, and then they will come up using your technology and say, hey, you would need, for example, one truck and you need 20 boxes, right? Mm -hmm. So can you blend this also with something like, I don't know, like augmented reality, virtual reality? Is there anything that comes into the play here? Yeah, I mean, we're we're building a lot of different things like this. So we 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 are experimenting with all of these. The key for us, and this is kind of an, unusual use case from what I've seen out there is in a sense, we're kind of like the opposite of a, a sticky app like Netflix or Facebook. People don't use our software, fall in love and then decide to move every day because of it. So we need to design for a first time user who is, doesn't have context, who's at a point in time in their life where they're really busy. Like no one's bored two weeks before they move, right? They're, they're always got other, they're always have other things on their mind. And they need to understand it well enough to get the job done, um, which is actually a really tough, um, tough thing to do. And we call ourselves, we have this phrase at our company, we call them geek users. And I call myself one, like I've yumboed this room hundreds of times. So I don't trust myself anymore. And I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, because I have the benefit of being sticky, right? I use it all the time, but most people don't. So we've had to, we experiment a lot and we do a lot of user studies but we also discount ourselves, which is kind of interesting. And we have to um, go and look at first time users. And there are platforms and tools that you can use that help you go find a first time user that's not particularly um, like conversant in your tool. And that's what we really use to judge is um, we measure things that are quantitative, like how long did it take to go through? How many times did I have to like, click the back button or call up for help? And then also some things that are more qualitative, like asking, how was your experience? How did it um, compare to what your expectations were? All that kind of stuff. But the um, the whiz bang, crazy over the top, like uh, AR features or things that um, are uh, like really technically complicated, um, oftentimes don't work out that well. And if you think about it, it's like the person who's using it, it's a tool for a job that needs to get done. 
and they don't always want like uh, vibration and sounds playing and lights and all these crazy things going on at once. And even though as a, from an engineering standpoint, it's really cool to be able to like coordinate and synchronize and do all these things. So it's um it's interesting. I feel like my intuition has gotten maybe better, but I'm still about I don't know 50% right when I'm like thinking through something. Um, because you need to put yourself in the mind of the actual person using it. And we always joke like, hey, there's there's 10 or so of us working on this and there's going to be like millions of people using it. So which one do you want to optimize for the 10 or the millions? So you have to like keep on reminding yourself that at least I do. Yeah, I think user experience is something also like underrated, I would say. Um, I see a lot of apps sometimes and I, you know, it's not because I want to criticize, you know, the app developers or whoever, but I just, you know, Instead of putting, for example, one star or two stars on the app store, okay. or for, you know, so what I do usually, you know, I tell them, guys, I'm not criticizing, but I think, for example, your onboarding was like five steps, and I think you can do it in two steps. Right. Uh, or uh, it took me, let's say, 10, I'll not exaggerate, like it took me 30 seconds to, to move, you know, from the first step to the second step, and I think you can optimize something in the back. You know, I, mm -hmm. I don't know. It seems you are using maybe a slow or outdated infrastructure. So yeah, like this is something also because coming back and I'm, allow me, Zach, to add this because I, I talk with sure. a lot of founders. One of the things is when you put also a lot of features and these features, maybe the user, they don't want them. And I ask you specifically about the AR, VR things because I want to convey a message. Again, because back to the AI conversation, don't overcomplicate your system because the user will use it, not you only. And, mm -hmm. you know, for me as a normal user, I like the apps that are like very straightforward, maybe two clicks, three clicks maximum, and I'm, I'm done. I'm out of there. Right. So, which is, it's an underrated, uh, I'm trying actually to get someone, uh, we had one episode before about user experience, but I'm trying also to get another person on the show specifically to design user experience because I think it's very, very, very underrated, especially mm -hmm. within startups. Now, Zach, uh, moving, you know, to, to something which is, I am lucky to know that, you know, the launch is at the time of recording this episode, which launching your book, Grow Up Fast. So uh, what can you share with us? And I know it's like about, you know, your transition from an employee to a founder, and the mindset so but what you can share about the book with us sure so this has been a fun project i've been working on for about a year now and the premise of grow up fast is i wanted to consolidate down the lessons that i've learned in the past seven years on starting an ai company so everything from evaluating is this technology applicable in this space because at the time um ai for moving like i've i've literally been laughed at before um in prospective investor meetings where you're explaining what you're trying to work on. It's like, like we're going to take everything that um, was involved in putting man on the moon and it works in self-driving cars and drones and we're going to sell it in this insurance industry and moving companies and people just like don't don't always wrap their head around it. Um, but like we knew something like we knew that uh, we knew that there was something valuable there. Um, so we, we talk about that, about um, how to how did I convince myself and what do we do along the way? So we, we chatted a bit about that in the in the early days around um, can I even get somebody to click a link and go through and do this? Um, and then we became a remote company during COVID. So managing a team has changed. And um, what we need to do like for two people, for five people, for 50 people uh, changes. So there were some, some lessons along the way there. And I tried to, to kind of um, 
digest things down and make it move quickly. So this um, writing a book is a lot like writing uh, software in the sense that you know you're actually done when the end user is able to achieve their goals and enjoy what they were trying to do from your from your app or from your book. So I had never done this before, so I treated it sort of like a product launch. So I, I thought I was done. Um, I had an editor, so we go back and forth. So I had somebody I could debate with. And when I thought I was done, um, we did a user study. So I, I found some beta readers that were in the target market. And then I gave them a free copy of the book. I gave them a, a feedback form. And the last question, like you were talking about app store reviews. So it's if this book were on Amazon today, how would you rate what you just read? So you can't you can't factor in like potential changes down the road. It's just based on what you read. And uh, I was so happy to be uh, finally through all the end of it. I was expecting to get like awesome marks and 2.8 out of 5 came back. And I was like, all right, um, I got some work cut out for me. So that was about six months ago. And then kind of dug in and learned people wanted to hear more of the human aspects of it. Like it's not just like a, not just focusing on technicalities. Um, mm -hmm. So we, we had to go back and you had to have humility kind of come in and say, okay, this thing that I thought was awesome. Um, I, I built it for myself maybe. Um, so we did a couple more rounds of that. And then when it got up to 4.8, I, I made my peace with the fact that you can't please everybody. I'll never wow. probably hit five. And, uh, and that's the, that's the copy that's live today on Amazon. Wow. So it's available on Amazon on the time of recording this episode. At the time right? of, yep. As a, if you're watching this, it's live. Yeah. It's called grow up fast lessons from an AI startup. That's amazing. And actually just to add my two cents here. I think, uh, Zach, I'm not surprised that people wanted to hear from you the human aspect, because I think what's happening, especially in the tech world, maybe I repeated this three times, four times today, but, you know, we are trying to make the technical aspect so shiny and people, you know, they get bored after a while. I mean, you know, I'm seeing this and the other day I, I noticed something, for example, um, myself being in, in tech for a long time and used to be on, you know, working with startups and vendor side. Mm -hmm. Um, so what I see, you know, people, and I took LinkedIn, LinkedIn is because for me, like it's a place where I can test and I, I have audiences long time. So what I noticed that when someone shares too much technicalities, when they share, you know, like it's kind of a rigid thing, right. cool technology, people, they don't react. And I think people are waiting for more human uh, blended with technology maybe you know something like this um you know because i think yeah because we know for a fact that yeah technology is evolving we are now you know ready to 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 have a, the new breakthrough product anytime uh, and things can change very fast so people are not anymore you know like wow when they see some oh wow look at this like it's very cool so they need to understand where the idea came from. Like in your case, for example, they want to understand, okay, what was your inspiration when you started your company? What, you know, how did you manage, for example, the stress with your colleagues? You know, people are interested to learn more about these things more. And this is why, by the way, I had to pivot my podcast because of this, yeah. because, <laughs> because the, for the first 30 episodes or so I do daily, by the way. So the first 30 episodes or so, they were short, you know, you can listen in 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I was just giving either like explanation about a certain tech or maybe a breakthrough event that happened. 
yeah, it was going fine. You know, I even I didn't think I didn't expect that time if someone would listen to it. Mm-hmm. But the moment I start to change the theme a little bit and get um, guests like yourself, and you know, not only not only discuss technology, discuss some other aspects. You know, things changed dramatically for me. So, and I, you know, I, I listened to the to the to my audience and said, okay, got you. I understand. I should not be only like making it purely tech. And I said, should I change the name CTO show? Hmm. Let me think about it. I said, no, I don't have to change because CTO is something, you know, technology, um, CTO is startup, CTO is entrepreneurship, and we need to learn a lot of things. So we, and we discussed about communication, marketing, sales, you know, all this stuff. I said, yeah, let me keep it this way. So yeah, it was good uh, reminder also, Zach, for myself and for the audience, maybe about the human aspect. Well, as we come to the end, I have a final question. Okay. What is the question that you wish I had asked you and how you would answer? This is great. You're, uh, you're uh, questioning your assumptions and you're open to feedback. I, I like it. You're, you're following all the right principles. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I, I think we could have talked maybe a little bit more about um, some of the challenges that we ran into with um. And I, if I can leave you with like a, maybe a quick, quick parting story, um, sure. I can talk about a, a fun challenge. So the Yembo product, we, we allow sales agents to close more jobs because they're not asking how many boxes does your living room fit in. They're able to um, kind of get that visual documentation and build a rapport with the customer, focus on all the things that they're good at, and then um, kind of move on to the next one. But sometimes people don't always know how to wrap their head around it. Like I always like to say, we're not like selling outlook to gmail users like you're you're making something new often in an industry where people have been doing things a certain way for decades and um even if you look at our if you were to look at like a screenshot of our tool now our design team has put together a bunch of research around this um and the way we ended up now we have a lot of very simple like single stroke width icons rounded corners um kind of small fun playful animations and that all came from, like, uh, we, we learned that customers would buy the product, but the people who buy aren't actually the users. It's like the owner might buy and then, like, their team is expected to use it. So we realized we have this gulf where the value prop that sold us to the company, um, you still have to, like, uh, win over the individual users and make sure that they can work it into their workflows. And we found that... Um, just by beating our chest around AI, we were intimidating and alienating a lot of people because again, they think of Terminator and they don't think of being more productive and being able to uh, close more commissions and things like that. So we had to um, kind of go out of our way to make this technology accessible. So like a traditional object detector, if you read academic papers, you normally draw the bounding box around it. It looks very like like very Terminator-y. But in our world, like we put a, a circle on it on the center it's like not really a um, technical reason why it just it looks less um, scary. There's no sharp corners, and that actually like uh, moved the needle in terms of if you looked at you did a training session, how many people actually logged in before? Is people need to be able to see themselves using it, saying okay that that's like a future that I can that I can understand, and by building and kind of a maybe obsessing over these details around like how do we make it um, easier to use and more inviting is uh, something that we we learned by doing it the wrong way and then adapting quick enough that we were able to 
kind of write this course in time, but I've just been kind of impressed at how there's very few just like pure technical problems that we face. There's always like a mix of its parts technical, parts software design, um, parts humanities. And I feel like that's where the real like rubber meets the road is how do you balance all of these sometimes competing interests and then make something new out of it. So it's been it's been a fun journey. I'm excited for the next few years, but um, I feel like uh, nothing comes for free. You have to think through all these different things and then think through ways that um, that you can build something that's valuable to your end user. Yeah, great. Actually, I was reading something today very similar about, you know, when companies decide to do a change and then, you know, how the insiders, they would be afraid of losing their jobs or maybe they, there will be politics sometimes also as well. And, you know, the book describes, actually the book is the Blue Ocean um, mm -hmm. strategy. So, so, you know, they advise like you need to do seeing is believing. So you need to show them actually the benefits so they understand they can visualize it better. So 100% exactly, yeah. uh, on that point. One thing I didn't ask you, Zach, and now I remember, have you expanded, uh, you know, other than, you know, did you have presence other than the, the U.S.? Yeah, we do. We uh, we didn't do it on purpose, but moving is very networked. So if you're moving like New York to London, um, most moving companies aren't in both. So you they partner with the firm in the other country. And um, we had a customer in the U.S. and same thing happened. They did an international move. And then on the receiving end, that company got um, our visual inventory. So that's most moving companies um, traditionally have like just a written list of all the different items that are in the move. But the Yembo difference is we put the actual pictures of the items there. So it's not just like any TV, it's this TV and here are the, here's the size, mm -hmm. things like that. So they got this and um, they're kind of shocked. Like who has the time to go through and put like 300 little pictures of all these different items in here? Like it's great for me, but how did it, uh, how did somebody put this together? And um, so they reached out to us and one thing kind of led to another. So we're in about, I think, 20 countries or so now. Um, nice. so most of our business is in the U S but it, um, we do, we do have, um, we have a data center in Europe as well as in Singapore and we serve clients all over the world. That's great to hear. Well, Zach, thank you very much for being with me today. I really enjoyed the discussion. I think you, you, you know, put the light on a lot of topics, um, you know, from technology perspective and from management style perspective. Uh, and also overcoming the challenges. So thank you very much for coming and sharing your experience. And reminder that the book, I hope by the time that we hear this, I would be able to put a link uh, to the book. Anyway, I will I will leave your LinkedIn profile and your website, the Ember website also as well, uh, in the episode description. So if anyone is interested, wherever you are in the world, to explore the technology and maybe connect with Zach. So feel free to do this. And as usual, uh, when we come to the end of the episode, this is what I repeat. If you have any feedback about this episode or the show in general, please don't hesitate. You can show me on purpose. I know like it's very noisy up there, but whatever platform you use, you know, that's why I put all the handles. So reach out to me, guys. Uh, I would love to, to hear your feedback about the show. If you are interested to be also on the show, same uh, as Zach was guest today, don't be shy. Please come in. Please join in. I'm having guests from all around the world, wherever you are, US, New Zealand, you know, opposite direction, Japan, North Pole, South Pole. So you can be anywhere in the world. I can arrange the time zones, no problem. And uh, thank you very much for tuning in and we'll meet again next episode. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for having me, Mehmet. My pleasure.
hit that subscribe button, share the show with your tech-savvy friends and fellow entrepreneurs, and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Your support means the world to us.